0: Well, good morning. Uh, my name is Caleb, and I do help serve in the leadership team, as David had mentioned. I get to work with the students a decent amount, uh, which is fun. Uh, if you have your Bible with us this morning, you can turn or tap your way to Deuteronomy chapter 7. Deuteronomy chapter 7. Deuteronomy, if you have a physical copy of the Bible, you can just go to the very beginning and just go a few books in and you should be able to find it. If you don't have a copy of the scripture with you, uh, don't panic. We'll have the words up on the screen for you to be able to follow along. And that is a totally acceptable way uh, to follow along this morning. In fact, in recent weeks, that's what I've been doing uh, because I have a one-year-old that I've been trying to wrangle throughout the service at times, and that's a lot easier just to follow along on the screen. So totally... Fine to do. Some of you guys know Dax and his energy, uh, the little one-year-old that my wife Jamie and I have. We actually have another one on the way uh, coming in January, so we're excited about that. Uh, My wife and I are both teachers, uh, and she teaches at Hillcrest High School, and I teach at Mount Jordan Middle School. But I also get to coach at Hillcrest High School as well. And uh, being a coach now, and uh, I've been around sports a lot throughout my life, and uh, gotten to uh, really had a lot of conversations and interactions with people regarding sports. And there's one conversation that really sticks out to me as I think back on um, some of the experiences I've had with coaches or just talking with friends about their coaches. And I was talking with a buddy in college, and he was talking about a coach that he had, and he was describing him. And he said, "Uh, this coach was a good coach. He was a solid coach. His practices were always well-prepared, a good administrator. But then he said something that stuck with me that I think back on some. He said, but... It wasn't like you were going to go bust your butt for coach. And that stuck with me now, especially as a coach, as I think back on that his experience with his coach, my experience with some of my coaches, and as you might even think about some of the coaches or teachers or even bosses now that you have. I actually also had a coach that I think back on that I would have busted my butt for, that I would have run through a brick wall for. He, uh, I love that guy. He, I loved playing for him. It was so much fun to play for. And whatever he asked us to do, I was, gonna, I was all in. I was going to be all in with what he, he said. So what's different about those different coaches? Why is, uh, why is the level of motivation so high with certain leaders in our lives and not quite as high with others, right? Like I said, I'm a teacher, so I've had different principles. And some, I, I don't want to look bad, and I don't want to let them down. And that's, that's high in my motivations in my job. Others, it's not, not quite as high. Some of you guys may be able to relate with some of the bosses that you've had in the past. That's uh, a common theme that we see in, in, in our lives. But I want us to consider that question. Why do we have different levels of motivation with different leaders? Uh, and I want us to consider that question this morning as we look at what God has to say to us in his word. And specifically, we're going to look at the God of the Bible this morning. We're going to look at his character. And we're going to see that this is a God that is, lo- that is full of love and grace for his people. And we're going to see that this is a God who is faithful. And we're going to see, and our, our, my hope and my goal is as we see this, and I think this is the message of this passage, is that God's love and faithfulness should drive us, it should fuel us to greater worship and love for him, which then really should fuel us to service and, and serving him and loving him more every single day. But before we look at our text in Deuteronomy, uh, it is important that we know where we're at in the Bible. Uh, because we haven't had this big, long sermon series on Deuteronomy. We haven't been talking about Deuteronomy. Uh, it might be been a while since some of you guys have been in Deuteronomy, and maybe even the first time. Like, what is this book? What is this about? Uh, well, if you think back on and if uh, throughout the uh, history of God's salvation, uh, part of the history of God's salvation is the nation of Israel, who were God's chosen people. And he uh, chose them and blessed them and wanted to bless them and bless all the nations of the world through them. And yet, in Exodus, we find his people are enslaved. They're enslaved in physical slavery in Egypt. And the story of Exodus is God miraculously frees and delivers his people. And then he, he is going to lead them to this land he promised them. He's going to lead them to the promised land. But along the way, God's people sin. They rebel against him, as we see throughout Scripture... Man is sinful, man is broken, and we just we, we cannot meet, meet his requirements and meet his commandments. And so the people of God end up wandering in the wilderness for many, many years. Yet, God remains faithful to his promise, and in Deuteronomy, he's about to bring them into the promised land, and he speaks through Moses here in giving them instructions and encouragement before entering into that promised land. Today, as a Christian church, we are part of God's people. We have been grafted in as Paul says, to the people of God. And so there's some key truths that we can take away from this this morning. We're going to look at three, three main um, descriptions this morning. We're going to look at who uh, God's people are, who we as God's people are, if you put your faith and trust in Jesus, uh, who God is, and then we're going to look at what God's people do. Uh, so first, let's look in verse 6 of Deuteronomy chapter 7 at who God's people are. Verse 6 says, For you are a people holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession. Out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth. It was not because you were more in number than any other people that the Lord set his love on you and chose you. For you were the fewest of all peoples. So we see a collective identity for the people of God right here in verse 6. Who we are. Specifically, if you, have, if you are following Jesus and you put your faith and trust in him, who you are as a part of God's people. We see that we are set apart, that we are chosen, that we are treasured by God. This language here refers to kind of like a king in his special prized possession. Um, how did God's people get all these privileges? Like, what did we do to get this? And in verse 7, we see clearly that God's people did absolutely nothing. It was not because you were more in number than any other people that the Lord set his love on you and chose you. For you were the fewest of all peoples. Everything God has done for us is undeserved. It's not, as one paraphrase of this passage puts it, it's not because you were big and important. Not because we are big and important. And notice here, God doesn't even say, well, at least you were an average amount of people. Or you were an average people. No, he says the fewest of all peoples fewest of all peoples. He's emphasizing the fact that there is nothing being brought to the table by us. You know, as I've gotten older and as I've grown in my Christian faith, uh, and it, as is normal, I think, you, you become more aware of your sin. You become more aware of how often you mess up and how often you don't measure up to God's standard. And it can be easy sometimes to feel guilty, to feel shame, to feel like you don't measure up, to really feel like you are that fewest of all peoples. And you know what? I, I just, I can't, I'm just crippled by that. But ultimately, what we feel versus what what is true, and what we see in God's word here is true, is something that we need to be thinking about, that we need to be meditating on. Because yes, we are the fewest of all peoples, but yes, we also are loved by God, chosen by God, and special to him. Those truths should be something that should encourage us and motivate us, in spite of the fact that we are sinners. We are loved, chosen, and special to him. On the flip side of that, though, sometimes I'm, I go the opposite way, if you're anything like me on this, where you feel like you do have something that you're bringing to the table, that you do have something you can give God, that God needs me to do this. And this scripture, again, points us to the fact that's not true. God doesn't need us. Uh, Romans 11 talks about, at the end, uh, Paul asks rhetorically, he says, what do you have, that?" You, or he says, uh, what, has anyone given a gift to God that he should repay him? That's just not, that nobody has. He later, in another passage of scripture, he says, what you have that you've not received, all the goodness of God that we've received is, is totally undeserved, and we should be grateful for that. And God does love us. God does love us, and we are special to him. We still got to remember these truths. And now we read about God's character and who God is. So we, we talked earlier about Uh, just a minute ago about who God's people are. Now we're going to read about who God is. And this is really foundation for us this morning in this passage. In verse 8, this is what gives us courage right here. Verse 8, it says, "...but it is because the Lord loves you and is keeping the oath that he swore to your fathers, that the Lord has brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of slavery, from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt." So we see an initial description of God here in verse 8. We see first that God loves us. It's because the Lord loves you. And again, kind of going back to what we just read, this is not a love of requirement. This isn't uh, obey me more and then I'll love you. This isn't become a more powerful people, then I'll love you. No. He just simply loves. God is faithful to his people and he loves them. And we see that faithfulness again. He keeps his promises, what he promises people. We also see that God is our redeemer. So we see a description here about the nation of Israel being redeemed from slavery, being freed from slavery. And this picture points to an even clearer picture that we see in the New Testament where Jesus has redeemed us from, from spiritual slavery and our spiritual slavery to sin, which is far greater than any physical slavery could be. And that that picture of redemption, that God has redeemed his people, like, really think about that. God has redeemed, if you you are a believer, if you have trusted in Christ, then you are redeemed, you are freed from that sin. So we see a few characteristics of God, and then in verse 9, we see some more pounded home, some more characteristics of God pounded home. It says in verse 9, Know, therefore, that the Lord your God is God, the faithful God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments to a thousand generations. So we see first that the Lord your God is God. God is the true God. There's not more than one. There's just one. We see that in Deuteronomy 6, 4, where it says, Hero, Israel, the Lord your God is one. There is one God deserving all, deserving all our, our worship, deserving all our devotion. He is the God. And we see that even earlier in this passage in Deuteronomy 7, where God is calling the people, his people, the people of Israel, to break down the idols of the nations and to show that God alone is God and to put his glory on display. We also see that God is the faithful God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments to a thousand thousand generations. And this thousand generations doesn't mean, oh, we're going to count a thousand and then stop. No, that's not what this is saying. The language that is used here points to it's not going to end. God's faithfulness does not run out. God does not run out of salvation. He does not run out of love. God is trustworthy. And we can think back, if you've been a follower of Jesus for some time, think back even just a short amount of time on your history and see how God has been faithful to you in the past. I know I can do that personally. Just even within the past year, I can think back about answers, specific answers to prayer where he came through when I needed him. And we see that also throughout the history of the Bible. Where God is is coming through for his people. He's faithful to his people. And we actually also see that throughout the history of the Christian church. The gates of hell hell have not prevailed against the Christian church. Uh, You think back to um, the the early centuries where Christians were really persecuted and many were killed. And yet God's church continued to flourish. And uh, just thinking back to one example, uh, I want to discuss a man named Polycarp. An early Christian church history um, leader. And Polycarp kind of has this strange name. I mean it was a long, long time ago that he lived, so it's not strange to, to, uh, to them, but it was "Be strange to us, Polycarp," just kind of a different sounding name. But Polycarp was a man who was a leader in the Christian church during probably one of the most important times in the Christian church's history. It was right after all the apostles had died that Polycarp was a leader in the church. Polycarp uh, was a leader in the church in Smyrna, which is a modern day Turkey. And he also, tradition holds that he was uh, dis- actually discipled by John the Apostle, one of the disciples of Jesus. And so Polycarp actually uh, lived to be an 80 year old, 80 something year old man. So he lived a very full life, and yet God allowed at that point something to be happened to him uh, when he was in his 80s. And uh, during this time period, Roman persecution was pretty, uh, pretty rampant of Christians. And Polycarp was actually escorted before a Roman leader and questioned. And he was cr- questioned about his faith in Jesus and what, and what he believed. And the Roman leader was obviously questioning him with the intention of getting him to renounce and to, to step away from uh, his stands about Jesus being the only God and the only way to, to God. And uh, Polycarp uh, seemed unfazed throughout this questioning, the account says. He was under control. Uh, even it said he carried on a witty dialogue ...with the Roman leader. And the Roman leader eventually lost his temper... ...and began to threaten Polycarp... ...and say, well, I'm going to feed you to wild beasts... ...or I'm going to burn you at the stake. But Polycarp remained unfazed. In fact, he, he responded... ...that while this fire lasts but a little while... ...the fires of judgment reserved for the ungodly cannot be quenched. Which basically nailing his destinies. So as the Roman soldiers went to grab him... ...to tie him to the stake, Polycarp said... ...leave me as I am... For he who grants me to endure the fire will enable me also to remain on the pyre unmoved without the security you desire from nails. In the account, it says that this account of this martyrdom of Polycarp was actually uh, remembered by everyone, even among the heathens, those that did not believe in God. Very powerful moment. How does someone do this? How can someone be this controlled and confident, staring death right at the face, only a real trust in God? and a real trust in the faithfulness of God, what he's done, what he's promised. Like I said, you can think back on your own histories of how God has come through time and time again. And, and it's something that we, as I would just encourage you as a church body, that's something we just got to be sharing with each other about those times where God has been faithful and encourage each other with those words. So God is faithful. And then the last, uh, last thing we're going to see about God in this passage, uh, in verse 10, is that God is just and the judge over all. We read in verse 10 that in uh, repays, talking about God, to their face those who hate him by destroying them. He will not be slack with one who hates him, he will repay him to his face. So we see, as loving and gracious as God is, he is also just. He is a holy God, he's the creator, he's the only God. We are, only the, we are simply the creation. And God is just. He cannot overlook sin and rebellion. He cannot overlook the, the people that, that rebel against him, that reject him. Yet, he has made a way for us to be right, made right with God. Romans uh, talks about that Jesus was made to be sin for us who knew no sin. Jesus was perfect. He lived a perfect life so that we could be made right with God through him. So that when we repent from our sin, we repent from the false, gods, false idols in our heart and we turn towards God and we put our faith and trust in Jesus alone, we can be saved. And we can now be a part of the people of God. We can now have these privileges we're talking about. This is an invitation for us to be a part of God's people. If you have not surrendered your life to Jesus this morning, I encourage you to consider doing that. Uh, Jesus has done everything for us, and has done everything it takes to be made right with God. And God is just, And yet he also is so loving in sending us, Jesus, to die for us. And if you have been saved by Jesus, then we see in verse 11 what God's people do. So we've seen who God is. We've also seen who God's people are. But now in verse 11, we're getting to what God's people do. Verse 11 says, You shall, therefore, be careful to do the commandment and the statutes and the rules that I command you today. Simply put, God's people do what God asks. God's people do what God asks. And therefore, the therefore that we see there, though, I want us to think about that. I had a pastor one time who said that anytime you see a therefore, you need to ask, what is it there for? So you need to look back maybe a few verses or maybe a little bit in the book. And specifically here, what have we just been reading about? Who God's people are and who God is. So therefore, because all these things are true, if you are part of God's people, then you should be obeying him and following him and doing what he's asked you to do. So what has God asked you to do? Well, we just talked about it. Repent and believe. Turn from your sin, follow Jesus. And if you've done that, if you've done that, then there's a lot in Scripture that can be gathered to, to see what God is asking you to do kind of the priority and the foundation that I want us to, to think through first with what God is asking us to do is in Deuteronomy 6, actually. So just a chapter before. I, I alluded to it already, but I didn't allude uh, to the rest of the verse. It says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. That's, and then Jesus actually takes it in Matthew and takes it one step further in Matthew 22. Someone comes and questions him says, Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And he said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul. This is the great and first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. So love for God and love for neighbor. That's what we're being called to do. And that's the foundation of everything we do and all that we serve and in, in, in any way we serve or anything that we do for others. It's, it's out of love for God and others. So we saw the great commandment. There's also a, a thing in Matthew called the great commission. Matthew, uh, At the end of Matthew, Jesus is about to ascend back into heaven and he commissions his disciples to go into all the world and spread this good news and share this good news with others. That's what we've been called to as Christians to be a part of. We can now uh, be a part of God's mission in sharing that good news. There's so many in this valley that have not heard of specifically the Jesus of the Bible. And what an opportunity that we have to share that with others. And to be a part of God's mission. When we talk here about uh, making disciples or planting churches, we're talking about sharing that good news. We're talking about being a part of new local expressions of the Christian church so that gospel message can go forward in a greater way. That's, That's what we're trying to do here. And that's part of God's mission in the church. Another thing that comes to mind is in Ephesians 6, uh, it talks about putting on the armor of God, talk, kind of giving us this picture of spiritual war- warfare and how we need to be meditating on God's word. We need to be praying. We need to be um, seeing what God has for us to do on a daily basis so that we can fight the battles that are spiritually that are out there that we're facing. And then all the commands in the letters that we see to the church, they're all they would just take so much time if I was to walk through all those. Uh, you think about Romans, Galatians, Ephesians, First, Second Corinthians. These are all books. These are all letters to Christian churches and the church as a whole. And there's so much that we can gather from them, what God is asking us to do. But I want us to look at one other passage this morning because uh, I think it's a really good um, sum- summary of, of what we're talking about and also just it alludes right to what this passage of Deuteronomy is about. In Hebrews 10, verse 23, it says, Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. He who promised is faithful. Just like what we write about. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. So we see here that God is faithful, that's the foundation, but then we also see God is calling us to gather together in some capacity, to serve each other, to love, push each other to love and good works. And I know out there, and, and I've, I've been here too, where it's just easy to be like, yeah, yeah, that's, that's what we do when we come into church on Sunday, yeah. Yeah. But let me ask you this, in what ways are you taking a part in that mission? If you, if you have put your faith and trust, you've repented from your sins, you're following Jesus, what ways specifically are you taking part in that mission of serving each other and pushing each other to love and good works and gathering together in some capacity? Think about what goes into just us gathering together as a church on a Sunday morning. For some of you guys know, it's a lot. Uh, gathering together so that we can worship, so that we can uh, allow the gospel message to go out. For us as a church, we have people volunteering and helping out with the students, with Hope students. We have people volunteering and helping out with kids. We have people volunteering and helping out in the nursery. We have people volunteering and helping out with the setup and teardown team. This doesn't just happen. This has to happen every Sunday. Now we have cleaning in between services or cleaning around uh, the, the, the different uh, areas that need cleaning. Uh, Now, we also still have a a greeting team, a hospitality team. um, We have a prayer team. We have a security team, a worship team. There's so many different areas to plug in and take part in God's mission in the church. And this is some, some of what God could be calling you to do. Now, this is a strange time, and I can't tell you specifically what your specific calling is. I can't tell you that. But I can tell you that God's word makes it clear here in Hebrews that we're to love each other, that we're to stir each other up to love and good works, and that we're to gather together to worship in some form of capacity and to serve each other out of love. And I can tell you an absolute fact that there's nowhere in the Bible that that says that God wants you to sit on the sideline when it comes to his mission. And that's also just not consistent with someone who's been saved and, and delivered and redeemed like we saw earlier in this passage of Deuteronomy. If we really have all those privileges, if God really is that God, then we should want to run after what, he's and what he wants us to do and run after serving others and run after loving him. Some in here might be thinking, I mean, that's, some of that's kind of a lot to ask. And maybe it is. And to be honest, I, might, I have those feelings sometimes. Some in here might even think, like, well, what do I get out of this? And, and God forgive me, I've had those feelings too. But I found that passivity and just kind of pushing away and be like, ah, it's going to be too much. That's not the answer to those feelings. Uh, this good news, this uh, gospel fuel, so to speak, this, this message of who God is and what he's done for us, this is what I have to remember. And I have to remember that it's not what do I get, but what have I gotten in Jesus already? What have I received And just like the people of God that we see here in Scripture, we have received a God who is faithful. We have received God's salvation and his never-ending love. And we have received freedom from spiritual slavery, freedom from sin, and freedom to serve in love. And by God's grace, we can step into humble service now with courage, breaking any idols of passivity, of lust, of apathy, of pride. You fill in the blank. We can do it because of who God is and what he's done for us. So in spite of our sin, in spite of who we are as sinful, fewest of all people's type of people, God loves us and wants to save us. What can be, what can get in the way of the sacrifices, or what type of sacrifices are too great for, to get in the way of the pursuit of God and what he calls us to do? Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your grace. That is undeserved. We thank you for uh, just all the different truths that you've shown us this morning. And God, we admit and confess our weakness. We confess our sinfulness. We confess uh, just the ways in which we're tempted to just uh, sit and, and not take part in what you have for us. But God, we also confess just our lack of belief and faith in who you are. And God, I ask you just help stir up in us. Stir up in me, God, just a a desire for you, a love for you, a passion for you, and to do what you've called us to do. And God, I pray that this morning that your spirit would be at work, that you would be exalted, Jesus, in all that we say and all that we do, and that this coming week, we just want to, to bust it for you, Lord, in everything. It's in your name we pray, Jesus. Amen.